Bonjour! Je m'appelle Anthony. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Considering that I had to remind you that hello was bonjour in French literally a minute ago, you actually did more than I thought you were going to do. That's, it's all that I know other than we. Oui. Sava? And, um, Sava. That sounds familiar, but I'm not sure what it means. I think that's like, um, from the very basic French my mother has taught me is mm. like, how are you? How are you going? Um, and right. then you can have like, you know, like, comme si, comme ça, which is like, yeah, I'm fine. Um, or you just reply like, Sava to Sava, or like, I always go, oh, you know, uh, Gela fatiga, which is just I am tired, um, and that's really <laughs> uh, that's you know. And so when I was in France trying to pick up girls, just by going, "Hi, how are you? I am tired." Didn't work really. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant! <laughs> Surprisingly, well, there's that whole um, there's that whole like cartoon picture of the uh, fuck. What is it about the cheese omelette du fromage, where he whispers omelette. it into the girl's ear. So, you know, Fran- French is a beautiful language. It, it is a need sexy to, um, language. It is. They just need to, like, export that shit a bit more than what they currently are. Export French? Yeah. Well, I feel like, like half of Africa speaks French and then, like, big chunks of the Caribbean speak French. I just feel like we're interacting. Right. We just don't interact with the, the chunks yeah, of the world that it's been exported to. Um, They're just not exporting it west enough. Yeah, it's like Spanish. It's too south. (laughs) Like, there's so many people in the world that speak Spanish, but, like, I would never say, oh, yeah. Yeah, we just don't see any of them. (laughs) Yeah, we just don't see, like, uh, what do you think? Like, French is considered quite, like, a sexy accent. Like, Mm. bonjour, Mm. milady. Absolutely. Like what I did, but, like, good. Um, like, what is your, like, do you have an accent you really like, Anthony? Um, look, I like all of the accents. Uh, I think that, I mean, just because I am part Dutch, I enjoy, like, it's interesting hearing the Dutch accent. Yeah, interesting Um, is definitely the term. Um, Wow. It's just a lot of, like, shh. There's a lot of that when they speak English. Mm. Oh, Dutch is is all double vowels. Yeah, it's um, I love the swamp German language. Um, I've actually always wanted to go to the Netherlands. I hear it's beautiful. It is. How's it is Netherlands beautiful. going with coronavirus? Actually, uh, look, as far as I know, speaking to the fam, they're doing they're doing fine. But I think they had they had a lot of a lot of trouble. Like there was a graph about. The number of cases versus the recoveries that didn't wasn't pleasant reading. But everyone that I know is fine, so that's a very like European that's thing. Good. Like a nice, the family gathers around to enjoy like a nice European Union graph. You know, <laughs> uh... <laughs> yeah, they're just such huge fan of graphs over there. Who isn't? Who isn't a fan of graphs? That's true. What's your favorite type of graph, John? Ooh, ooh. Do you, have you know, you can go for the classic, you know, the pie graph, the, mm. the bar, the bar chart, the stocks, like the line graph. I'm, you know, but I'm a bit of a wild card. I like a scatter mm. graph. Let's like, the, really? the graph is just, it's like everything's just thrown on the screen and I can just sort of take it at my own pace and just enjoy yeah, it. Right. Um, the scatter graph with the, uh, the line of best fit showing the, um, the progression of things, and then you can base how close things are to the progression by the distance between them, the scatter plot, the scatter dot, and the line of best fit. That's uh, a very mathematical answer, Jordan. Yes. That's incredible. Yes, that is correct. Yeah, I know. Good what call. I just look at the colors. Um, what about you? What's your favorite graph? <laughs> That's a, that is an interesting... See, I think, like, aesthetically, mm. you can't really go past a good bar graph. Oh, it's the classic. I think that yeah. while, the, while the pie graph has its own level of aesthetics, that, you know, don't get me wrong, I enjoy a pie graph or even a Venn diagram. 
Um, but Ooh. I think the simplicity mm. of the bar the bar graph is really where um where the beauty lies. So my answer would be bar graph. That is a very like that's a nice that's a good strong answer. You know, like people say mm. vanilla is you know it's boring, but you know what vanilla is delicious. And just because and there's a reason why it's like the norm. And there's a reason exactly. why the bar graph is the norm. This is all very true. And and something this is the problem. Like it has been built into my psyche by society that vanilla is boring. And therefore I avoid vanilla despite actually liking it when I do have it on occasion. Like it is an excellent default choice. So it's a big fuck you to society. <laughs> you know they've what? Ruined, I... They've literally ruined <laughs> vanilla. <laughs> You've ruined vanilla. But the, yeah, the thing is, the fact that vanilla is like the norm plain flavor is kind of like mm. amazing because, like, when you actually think, what is vanilla? It's like the, the seed pod of a fucking orchid. Like, it's this crazy exotic mm. thing that, like, never would have been a flavor a hundred years become... ago. Yeah, yeah. But now, bam, it's everywhere. Everything's vanilla. Can't get in, society is addicted to vanilla, and then bam, it's just it's too yeah, normal. Exactly, it's like the the normies have taken over. It's like if hipsters, mm. when hipsters mm. become normal, they start off, you know, like the cool, trendy new thing. But then yeah. once they become normal, it's not no one cares anymore. Yeah, now it's, it's like, all about salted caramel, which I love. Even, like, yeah, asterisk. I think salted caramel still, has become a little bit more normal now. I mean, I also mm. would would die for salted caramel like but who knows i wonder what the next flavor is going to be um yeah that's a really good question because i felt like it was actually cookies and cream before salted caramel cookies and cookies and cream is i feel a bit of a classic that's been around for a long time hmm. i'm not sure i'm just look i'm really keen for um strawberry to retake the retake the crown but oh. that's just it's got but... it's got a really tough um like societal description to get past and that is you know fake and sweet so yeah strawberry is the most oppressed flavor because you know when you think about like the napolitana ice cream strawberry is always the one left over you know people hit the chocolate obviously people hit the vanilla as we know it's the the norm people love love dem seed pods um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but strawberries, it's never touched. Um, mm. I mean, anyway. it was in my family, but as a general rule, you're absolutely right. I, I also I also rate strawberry ice cream. It's nice. Strawberry mm. strawberry milk. You know, like strawberry, you know, flavored yeah, milk. Yeah, I do enjoy strawberry milk as well. It's it's nice. It's nice. It's 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 very sugary and sweet. Anyway, we've mm. been going off track. Um, welcome, welcome to the podcast. To episode, <laughs> welcome to episode nine <laughs> of the Pod Gods. Um, I hope you enjoyed IX. Oh, oh, oh. If we're going following Star Wars. (laughs) (laughs) We've done a a really good job today because we've already fit like three topics in. We we did a French lesson, we did graph chat, and then, you know, strawberry is the most depressed ice cream flavor, all in the first however many minutes. Brilliant. This is is like the pre-introduction. This is the abstract. For our um, for our thesis, that is episode nine of the Pod Gods. Yeah, in this thesis, we will argue that uh, strawberry <laughs> is the most depressed flavor, and um, the bar graph is the classic mm. graph. Mm. Amazing. Sorry, I'm just distracted by a fly that is in in the recording room. So intermittently, if I lose um, lose focus, it's it's the fly. If you've gone silent, the fly has killed you. Yeah. Um, you are deathly yeah. allergic to flies. Yeah, fuck. Can you imagine being deathly allergic to flies? That would be that would be a rough life. Yeah, it's like I mean, imagine being deathly allergic to peanuts. Oh, oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not deathly allergic to them, so yeah. Fuck anyone who's worse allergic than I am. I don't know if anyone can hear that. Some guy is just absolutely fanging it outside of my house. Just like a... Can you hear that? No, not at all. Oh, man, that was really... That's weird. He's you know, fanging people going, What is he fanging? His car. He's just like doing a burnout or just like right. absolutely revving the guts out of it. Anyway, uh, episode yeah. nine. Speaking of, 
Yeah, yeah. And, and speaking of fanging, I'm going to transition straight into our, one of our big topics, if that's okay. all right, Jordan. Oh, absolutely. Um, speaking of fanging, um, animals that have fangs, tigers, Tiger King on Netflix, <laughs> what a nice. show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> nice, that's good. What a show. What an interesting um, documentary to become like the big new global sensation. Certainly. Um, my brother was telling me it's now like Netflix's biggest, most watched show ever. Um, and I'm sure that's partly to do with everyone being at home around the world. Um, yes, but yeah, probably. it's it's very good. It's done well. It's um, mm. it's very interesting. It taught me a lot about an industry I had no idea about. Um, mm, and it's, all the people in it are fucking insane. They're yeah. all just <laughs> wild. Um. And I know that America usually gets a bit of a bad rap, but wow, just Americans. <laughs> but clearly these people nonetheless <laughs> exist. So they, These people have a whole country which they can do whatever they want in, apparently. Um, so, mm. Anthony, if, if mm. I watch this and then I remember I was yelling at you to watch it and then you binge-watched yeah. it in like a day and a half, um, yes. would you like to, to tell our, um, oh, first things first, uh, Simbuki? Simbuki, yeah. Um, do you want to tell our listeners what <laughs> Tiger King is, if they've been living under a rock or in some sort of isolation, unheard of, I know. Yeah, right, right, right. So for everyone still watching um, free-to-air TV, there is yeah. a, um, a large uh, multinational corporation called <laughs> Netflix <laughs> who, <laughs> who uh, do their own um, kind of series and movies and stuff because they have so much money. And one of these particular series is called Tiger King that follows a, a man with a bleached mullet and chopper reed beard mm -hmm. uh, who is one of many um, owners slash operators of... I guess you could call them wildlife parks, but that are solely devoted to kind of rare animals, namely tigers. Right. Um, and it follows his very uh, strange journey um, from almost a beginning as like a, how would you describe it? Like almost like an environmentalist for animals, but like really wanting to like help them and, look after them and like increase that population and a conservationist, you know, conservationist. That's the word. Um, so starting out as a conservationist and then beginning to like monetize the shit out of it. Uh, mm -hmm. And the, the competition that seems to arise across these uh, multiple people who operate very similar enterprises. One of which of course, killer of her husband, Carol Baskin. Right, right. Um, and, there is, and there is, um, you know, this, this feud develops between them, between kind of Carol on the one hand, this almost hippie-dressed person um, mm. who is a hardcore conservationist in trying to protect, mm. protect these tigers on the one hand, and uh, the Tiger King and the Doc on the other hand, oh, yeah, who are doc. kind of monetizing this commodity almost um and that sparks a big feud between them to the point where uh the tiger king joe exotic is um like essentially threatening carol and then it all culminates into him being charged and convicted for planning to basically have her killed um yeah. so this netflix doco is basically kind of following his story uh, and his like multiple lovers and all the drama that that's associated yeah. with that as well. It's um it's very good. And if anyone hasn't like, I'm sure people have been hearing about it, but it's definitely worth checking out. Um, even just a couple of episodes, even if you're like not necessarily into it, um, just so you can understand sort of the cultural understanding because it is a big thing. And there's so many memes mm -hmm. now about like Carol Baskin, Joe Exotic, um, so much stuff, but. One thing that did pop up quite a lot in the show was Carol Baskin, the animal rights person who runs this mm. big cat tiger rescue thing. 
um, was married hey to a there, millionaire cool guy. cat and kittens. Oh god, that every time that made me cringe, like <laughs> deep, deep in my my soul. Um, yeah, so did I. Um, but then again, out yeah, of her, everyone, million, her millionaire husband. Yeah, her husband millionaire husband um, disappeared. Without a trace, really. Um, and most people seem to think she killed him, but there is no evidence to really support that. Um, what What is your take on it, Anthony? Oh well, obviously he's under the septic tank, Jordan, and I'm not sure how you <laughs> how anyone could argue differently. <laughs> Look, I have I have literally no fucking idea. Um, it is it is interesting that it seems that she's the only one that would benefit at all from death or disappearance. Yeah. So, like, naturally, she would be the obvious kind of target for it. Um, but I don't, think, uh, I don't think a tiger killed him. No, no, no. Um, I'm, a big, I'm a big fan of the theory that um, he flew a little, his little, like, Cessna, his little plane out over the Mexican Gulf, and then someone just pushed him out. And he fell like mm. 600 meters smack bang into the like Mexican Gulf, um, and obviously he'd never be found. Um, mm. I think it's too too like you don't have to worry about a body. International waters, mm. anything goes. Yeah. I don't I actually don't think murder is legal in international waters. I'm not really sure how the international murder waters law works. Can you uh, imagine if that was like just murder the is stupidest loophole loop in international <laughs> waters? You just be like, you have to like try and like um, coax your victim out. It's like, come on, we're gonna go on a boat ride. <laughs> gonna be a few just, days. Just a few there. more miles. Just a few more miles. Um, <laughs> but plus, it's like, how does how would that work? Like, where does international waters start? Is it like a a unicloss thing? Is it like the however many miles off the the continental shelf? Is it an exclusive economic zone thing, Anthony? I have no idea. Um, um, you're the well, lawyer the, here. The That's why we have you. The, ex- <laughs> the exclusive economic zones are like relevant, and the calculation for that stuff is how far away it is from the actual yeah. land that exists as X Y Z country. So yeah. I imagine the international waters thing is whatever area is beyond the exclusive, all the exclusive economic zones kind of worked out together yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. But I actually have um, no idea. Yeah, interesting. Anyway, Don't to go back to Tiger King, I have, I have some thoughts. I've been reading mm. some opinions online. Some good, some bad, some shockingly Excellent. bad. Um, and then there's like mine, obviously, godlike. Correct. So yeah. the show obviously follows Joe Exotic from kind of more his perspective. And Carol is sort of framed, I wouldn't say as the antagonist in quotations, but much more antagonistically. She is seen as the kind of rival or opposite to Joe, to these kind of yeah. big cat owners, these like private zoos. Um, and... I think I've been reading a lot on the internet, people saying how, you know, the show makes Joe seem a lot nicer, um, even when, you know, he is quite a, he's an awful human being. He's a terrible, terrible person, like um, very threatening towards Carol. Like he did a lot of fucked up stuff on his show. He like had a, a sex doll, put a dildo in his mouth, called it Carol Baskin and then shot it live on live on the internet, which is mm. pretty, pretty wild. Um mm. And, you know, I, I do believe that Joe should be in prison for what he did, um, you know, raising the big cats and um, cubs and cub petting and stuff, which is against the law, I think, um, from what I understand. Um, all the other stuff about hiring people to kill, I don't know. That seems like a lot of bullshit to me, but I'm not a lawyer. And mm. my only experience of this is through this show. I believe there is a um, 2012, 2011 Louis Theroux documentary about Joe Exotic, which I think would be very interesting as well, which I might check mm. out. Um, but Carol gets painted as the sort of, she killed her husband. Um, you know, she's the, oh, she's the baddie. She's secretly evil. But, you know, when we actually look at the facts, you know, Carol was in what sounds like a pretty, like a bad relationship with her husband. He, he They met when he was like 40 and she was 19. Um, mm. She didn't have like any money and stuff like that. So 
whatever happened, perhaps it's not just that she wanted money. Perhaps it's more that this there was, you know, some dark stuff going on behind the, you know, closed doors of the the marriage, and we just don't mm. know what was happening. Um, plus, I also seen a lot of people saying how the show is kind of misogynist in that it automatically frames the woman as the bad one, and how everyone sort of always goes to Joe's side. Um, I can always already t- like when people I've spoken to about it, they're like, "Oh yeah, Joe Exotic is so funny. Oh yeah, Carol, hundred percent killed her husband. Yeah, she's so evil. Yada yada yada." Mm. Um, which is really interesting, and like that gave me a, a lot of a lot of pause for thought um, mm. about like how how to like how is this woman framed? I'm sure she lives her entire life like everyone going, "Oh, you know, like you killed your husband." Yada yada yada. Um, yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm sympathetic to that. I'm sympathetic that perhaps Carol was painted unfairly in this show, and Joe Exotic, a pretty shit dude, um, was was painted as you know like a little plucky underdog hero, um, hmm. like a zany one, but like the kind of guy you root. Um, but this is my kind of counterclaim. Carol Baskin mm. has started a multi-million-dollar organization in which she is the head of. Uh, and owns a lot of land through, um, based on <laughs> completely unpaid labor. And you even have in the show the them interviewing the volunteers, like, yeah, I don't get to work Christmas. I'm here, you know, seven days a week, eight hours, and no, I don't get paid. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah. Carol, Carol's not that. Carol's not that nice, is she, folks? She's um, she's doing some probably pretty fucked up stuff. Like, pay your workers, especially when they're dealing with with tigers and stuff like that. Um. So I think it's very good, you know, it's it's the true dichotomy of man. Like, mm. evil, oh, good, absolutely. who knows? Absolutely, 100% agree. And I think that also part of the, I guess, kind of rooting for the underdog that has come out of this is also partly related-ish to the fact that, like, Carol's doing ultimately the same thing as what they were. Like, obviously oh, not as bad. Absolutely. Do not get me wrong. In, in the slides, obviously not as bad and... As far as I'm aware, well, not she doesn't like do killing young. Well, she doesn't do the cub breeding and cub petting, yeah. which I think is yeah. is what's illegal. Yeah, exactly. But still, though, you know, big cats, endangered animals in cages, ultimately. Yeah, like you know, no one's no one's an angel here. Everyone, everyone involved is inherently somewhat hypocritical in in what they've done. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. So I think that that's that's an underlying issue as well across it, and I think I think at least partly the reason why the level of um, I guess kind of opposition to Carol's almost holier than thou approach. Mm. I think that, that I think that that's where the problem kind of arose more than anything else is that she I guess has portrayed herself as. Um, you know the the gold standard, and the only her way of doing it is is the only okay way of doing it. But ultimately, none of the ways of doing it are okay. Yeah. No. Well, what's the t- statistic that there's like ten thousand big cats in the United States or North hmm. America at least, and there's only four thousand left in the wild? Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is it's which is incredible, insane. Mm. Um. And I don't know Absolutely. if this documentary will actually do anything for kind of big cat conservation, but that's definitely a, a statistic that stuck with me. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's really weird. And, you know, I'm not attempting to propose an alternative solution or anything to the big cat problem, but, yeah, it's a weird, like you said, dichotomy where it's like on one hand you want, basically, like you want them to be in the wild. That's like the goal. Yeah. Um, but then for some reason, I don't know why this stuck with me. I don't know why I was like that. But, like, I remember I think it was, well, Joe Exotic said something about, um, you know, if the purpose, if the problem with endangered animals is that they're endangered, surely breeding them is a good thing. Yeah. Like, if you want more of these animals to exist, then breeding is a good thing because you get more of those animals into existence. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I kind of understand that logic. But then, obviously, if you if you kill them off after after they've served <laughs> yeah. their purpose in bringing right. some money into a a rare animal wildlife park, then um, yeah. it's not really doing much for the global population. 
plus it's not really i don't know if it really counts if like the animals aren't necessarily in wild so like you can't these mm. kind of cage breds domesticated almost big cats they can't survive out in the wild they don't know how to hunt they don't know how to kind of form their kind of social groupings they don't understand their environment so they're kind of they're almost like a new species they're just not the same as the the wild ones mm. uh, absolutely and if i don't know if the fucking pandas have taught us anything it's that um you know humans trying to make animals you know exist in an environment they're sus- supposed to is just mm. the stupidest fucking thing ever because yeah. once the coronavirus came around and the pandas were free and we humans stopped trying to make them have sex, they ended up having babies anyway. Like, right? Is this what happens? Let, let them let them do their thing. <laughs> yeah, but well, like, we have a... to we have to control Jordan because we are the superior species. Yeah, the yeah, the, we are. Um, as always, completely superior. I um, just want to highlight again, Simbuki, Simbuki, yeah, superior. Yeah. Um, yeah. When you watch Joe Exotic, you really think, yeah, human beings are the superior beings mm. on the planet. Um, yeah, yeah. His, um, the picture of him in the throne or whatever for the promo stuff. I yeah, mean, yeah. it's just who he is. He is a representation of humanity. <laughs> oh, man. It's a, it's a good show. Mm. Definitely um, mm. check it out. Um, I really enjoyed watching it. Um, left me with, with many thoughts. Um, yeah, it's definitely yeah. at the very least um, a worthwhile, I guess, kind of portrayal of an area of business that I, for one, had yeah. no idea about. Like, yeah, I same. recall, I recall very vaguely um, the was it John Oliver who did that bit about the presidential candidates when right. John went through that presidential right. candidacy thing. I remember that very vaguely as my first. Um, I guess kind of introduction to Joe Exotic as a person, but right. had no idea of the background and the background context and that this industry is so A, fucked and B, widespread. It just mm. was something that I'd never, never considered. And you know what else it is? It's profitable. Lots of people go oh, and visit mm. these places. It makes a lot of cash. Yeah, yeah. Gets the chicks too via Tinder. <laughs> Yeah, apparently, oh, God, that, that weird Doc Antle, Antum, he had, like, a whole what? harem of, like, poor young girls. It's <laughs> like, oh, man, it's, I, yeah, tigers. People, apparently, girls love tigers. Mm. Um, right, so if anyone out there thinking of what they should do in um, self-isolation, yeah, paint a tiger or yeah. buy a tiger. Start or Photoshop yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just start it. It's fine. It's fine. Is it, it's do, an essential is it legal service. In <laughs> I wonder. Is it legal in Australia? Can you uh, breed tiger cubs? I, mean, I guess they uh, breed yeah, them in zoos. I don't I think it is. Yeah, I feel like zoos are always always an exception, though. It's like churches; they're always an exception to tax and stuff like that. So I wouldn't be surprised if zoos are similar. <laughs> Zoos and churches, they feel the same niche. <laughs> um, well, speaking of the church, mm, there has been Easter. some... It is Easter. It is Easter. And, um, you know, there has what? been some very interesting legal decisions surrounding the church. There has indeed. There has indeed. In, uh, in like our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, George Pell mm-hmm. has been resurrected by the high court of australia oh, oh. As, <laughs> you know what the thing is though didn't the pope sort of just compare pell to jesus in like a tweet and he's just yeah, like, yeah, now absolutely. we understand what jesus went through his unfair persecution and everyone's like did you just compare jesus christ to a pedophile mm. um, yeah absolutely it's, it's too uh... much communal wine he was doing so well, old mate Pope Francis. He seemed he to was. be quite a uh, likable and modern Pope, but then he went and used technology. Well, so use technology. This is what happens when you let old people near a phone. They just exactly. tweet out some insane stuff. Um, <laughs> so the High Court reached an agree- uh, like a verdict saying that, not mm-hmm. that Pell was innocent or anything like that, but that a piece of evidence used to convict him wasn't 
good enough. I'm not sure if that's the term. Well, it's slightly more slightly more than that. So the High Court, okay. importantly, unanimously, so seven zip, every single judge on the High Court, right. um, basically decided or concluded that the jury should not have been able to convict uh, Minister, Mr. Pell um, beyond reasonable doubt. So basically on the evidence, on the evidence that was, um, was submitted or uh, admitted at, um, at trial, based on that evidence, it sh- should have been um, impossible to convict beyond reasonable doubt. Right. Um, which, which to the extent is basically that there was, or well, any reasonable person should have seen that there was insufficient evidence to convict him of the crimes that were that were alleged. Right. Um, so why did he get It's a very interesting. Well, because of um, well, probably the media, uh, partly. Right. Um, and also, it's probably likely that, or well, something definitely happened, like. Massive fuck you to George Pell. But um, it's very interesting reading the, uh, the full transcript, which is freely available on Osley, by the way, A-U-S-T-L-I-I. Right. Um, free, feel free <laughs> to Google that and have a, have a gander. Have a gander. Um, but basically there... So the High Court basically made their own decision. Um, the argument was that it should have... Uh, if they decided that the jury's kind of verdict was incorrect, then they should um, put it back for like a retrial at the right. um, okay. federal court so and then basically just do it all again with another jury. But the High Court said, no, we don't need to do that. The evidence oh. that's available to us is more than enough for us to make a determination um, that there's no way that any jury should be able oh. to decide beyond reasonable doubt that George Pell it oh so they just sort of found him not guilty i just thought that he had would have to go back for retrial but to the high courts just sort of unanimously decided yeah no they just they unanimously acquitted him of oh damn Hmm. that's the i feel like that's that's a bigger deal Mm. oh it is it's quite a substantial deal um it's very interesting reading though and like reading the evidence that they kind of outline in their judgment or something like, it's also low-key, makes a lot of sense. Like, the amount of, um, there's a lot of evidence about all the, like, the procedure and the processes of, like, doing mass. Um, right. And this, like, tradition stuff about how things work and how things happen. And that weight of evidence based on kind of how it's portrayed in, in their judgment. And I would presume that this is you know, a fair, fair assessment of, um, of that tradition and stuff like the time window and the circumstances during which um, it was alleged that uh, this sexual assault occurred. It was, you know, it's very difficult to conclude right. beyond reasonable doubt that this happened in the context in which it was alleged. Right. Um, but this is, you know, going back to the fundamental difficulties and challenges and problems with proving sexual assault in any capacity and even domestic violence for that matter, yeah. rape and things like that. It's just because often um, it only comes to trial so long after uh, yeah. it's actually happened. There are huge problems with evidential burdens and, and things like that and being able to prove things beyond reasonable doubt when, you know, human memory is fucked after like two hours let alone two or 20 years um it's yeah it's there's a there are a lot of broader issues that arise um Mm. that this particular case just made even more evident um because ultimately like based on reading what, what the high court said like i would be it would be rough for me as a, you know, just graduated law student to say that oh, yeah. <laughs> the seven kind of top judges of our country um, have made the incorrect decision. Um, yeah. And 
yeah, it, it really just brings to light a lot of the broader issues about domestic violence and sexual assault and mm. rape and the, the challenges improving that based on an adversarial system and yes. what the standard of proof is and the requirements of proving that kind of offence. It's, yeah, it's a really difficult kind of dilemma that is faced as to yeah. how do we how do we appropriately, um, I guess, kind of punish these acts while maintaining mm. our kind of innocent, foolproven, guilty and rule of law? And, yeah, it's a really, there's a lot of complicated kind of building blocks that led up to this result and the reaction Absolutely. to it. Um, so, like, yeah, I think with Pell it's quite tricky. Excuse me. Uh, it's with Pellet's quite tricky in that he's a very important Catholic, right? He's the Archbishop mm. of Melbourne, so the most important important Catholic in the country, um, and he was the treasurer of the Vatican, so like the third most important Catholic in the world um, in terms of mm. kind of church hierarchy. So, in a way, I wouldn't be surprised if his conviction was a way in. Because you can't really go after the church as an organization, as a state. Um, it's so, one, ginormous, two, it's so, like, decentralized um, that it's it's almost impossible, really, to kind of, as a organization, take it to trial. Um, mm. oh, because absolutely. we have seen how, you know, the church across, oh, and not just the Catholic church, lots of different you know, religious organizations and lots of different other stuff have all come together to kind of, to cover up absolutely wild cases of sexual assault, um, mm-hmm. especially sexual assault of minors globally. Um, so I can understand that Pell maybe was a, oh, I don't know what the term is, but he was a, a going goat. after, I don't know if a scapegoat is the right word, but it, it, uh, punishing Pell was oh, because way he probably did, did something. Yeah. Yeah. There was some symbolic gesture, I think that. Yeah. Well, I, and it's like, it's so hard to, like you said, to kind of convict on covering up sexual assault. Because what is that in law? What is that in kind of church law? How does that work on a kind of a global scale? The High Court of Australia, sure, is important in Australia, but it means nothing in even New Zealand. It means nothing in it means nothing in Germany. It means nothing in France. Like it, it doesn't doesn't really mean that much globally. So his both his conviction, his I think he was what convicted for six. He was given six years and he served one. Um, uh, I can't remember how many years. I, know, I definitely served one, um, but I can't remember yeah. how many years it was. Uh, yeah, for um, the actual offence. But his release, I think, has just such broader ripples in society in dealing with sexual violence um, and kind of sexual assault. In that, you know, his imprisonment uh, was seen as a bit of a win for victims globally in Australia, regardless of kind of whether they're kind of, you know their very traumatic experiences were related to the church or not. Um, And I can really feel and I really sympathize with survivors who feel like now that he's released that, that victory, that small victory has been taken from them, that they don't feel like they've been listened to. And Mm. I, again, like you, I do not feel qualified to criticize the high court. Um, These are, probably the most distinguished and learned people in the country, more so than any hmm. goddamn politician or anything. Um, but I can really understand how people with who have experienced some of sexual assault now feel like their voice doesn't matter, that they, what the, if they come out and if they talk, it doesn't ma- matter because they're just going to walk free anyway, they're perpetrators. So it's such a hyper complicated issue i can understand i can understand there's a lot of anger at pell and i would say that he is a very loathed man in society um mm. you know just that cultural stigma what he stood stands for his kind of his very long history um and the fact he's been in the media so much um and you know pell has been a you know, a, a poster boy for the right in Australia. John Howard famously wrote a um, character reference for him. He, Tony Abbott was a vocal supporter of George Pell and a harsh critic of the fact that he was in prison. 
Mm. Um, famous kind of journalists and commentators like uh, Marina Delevingne, um, Andrew Bolt, especially. Mm. Uh, for them, they must see this as a win in that they see that one of theirs, one of their kind of privileged members of society, one of their kind of special little in-group, um, you know, there was a great wrong in that the institutions developed and um, the institutions developed in this country to protect their kind of power and prestige, be it the law, um, mm. worked against them in this case. Mm. And so for them, they must see Pell being released as a righting of the wrongs, you know, a return to the norm. Um, and I actually don't know, and I don't know honestly if that is will happen, regardless of what happens to Pell. I don't think the country or the well can go back to seeing the church as what it once was. And I don't think that the position that religious figures in the church held is at any more point secure. And I think the church is under more scrutiny than it ever has been before. Um, mm. Yeah, oh, I absolutely, absolutely agree. And I think that, um, I think especially amongst more uh, the younger generations that the church has, has died a relatively horrible death in that yeah. the number of kind of the prestige that it has, as you were saying, the prestige that it has had in the past is not as strong or powerful as it is now, even though the level of kind of influence and power that the church retains yeah. in many countries across the world is still like scary. Um, but I think that with respect to their reach to new followers um, as to the actual religious beliefs themselves and level of control that people in those positions have, I think that's less profound mm. than it was, for example, 20 years ago. Exactly. And take, take Pope Francis. Um, he was a bit of a play by the church to have a more progressive leader. Um, obviously, mm. who was the Pope beforehand? Pope John Paul? Pope? No, no, no. Uh, beforehand was the uh, former member of the Hitler Youth, Pope Benedict right. XVI. Pope Benedict, right. Excuse mm. me. Um, <laughs> you know, like when you talk about it like that, it, that doesn't sound <laughs> great, does it? The church sounds like it has more issues. Um, but, you know, Francis yeah. was meant to be a kind of the, the youth pick, in quotations. Mm. Um, and, you know, people around me, and I have seen a lot of people kind of attempt to rediscover their faith, come closer to the church, people who either grew up in it or people who um, had never gone through kind of any kind of religious or Christian upbringing, find their way to the church because of a lot of what stuff Francis says, a lot of his focus on mm. poverty, a lot of his focus on sort of women's rights, bar reproductive rights, of course. Um, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I quite like Francis. You know, he's, he's a very interesting figure. Um, you know, he's the kind of person I'd, I'd love to just to, to chat to him and, and hear what he has to say about the world. But at the same time, I really think he's, a hypocrite and i think he he's sort of failed at doing what the church wanted him to do in that rebuild the church's image in the eyes of young people and mm. failed in the task of you know making the church seem like a viable option for faith or for um even just general daily interaction with younger people across the world and so at the end of the day mm. what what has he done like it's and partly you know it's it's a lot of this stuff must be out of his control but uh, I don't know. Mm, yeah, it's a very... This, like, his comments about this incident have, like, really undermined a lot of the yeah. good and interesting work that he has set out and, to be fair, probably broadly succeeded in doing. Um, I think so. Well, from at least what I experienced. Yeah, Um and it's, it's the ultimate irony that his uh, kind of comments about the church being hypocritical with respect to its acts and, like, the accumulation yeah. of wealth and all that stuff have, have resulted in him being quite hypocritical in his comments about what's happened here. And what makes me worry is that the church has tried this sort of new progressive pope. Um, and so when eventually Francis passes and they have to pick a new pope, I don't think that the church is going to gamble again on a progressive pope i think the church will now go full defensive and of the, the mm. ultra kind of conservative this is such a weird thing to say the right wing of the catholic church <laughs> um fucking hate francis they despise him some of the cardinals have written 
um, like letters saying like everything he's doing is like heretical. He can't say this stuff. So I would not be surprised if the next pope is a hardcore conservative pope. Which again, yeah. where does that leave the church in? What what will that be? Like say twenty thirty? I don't know. Yeah, the peak traditionalist return of the Catholic faith. Yeah, and I, mean, well, like, I don't know. Like if um if people like uh you know the the traditionalist of let's say Donald Trump or um, the traditionalist mm-hmm. of uh, Scott Morrison or the traditionalist right. of Boris Johnson. Like if these, if these levels of kind of conservative leadership in the political space are reaching those positions, then yeah. I don't know if there's a, a very strange feeling in my head, heart and stomach that maybe a traditionalist Pope in the religious faith might result in more support than we perhaps give it credit for. But oh, I, we'll, I, we'll see what happens. I think the church would be strengthened internally if it did have quite a conservative pope. I just think that it would eventually... Mm. I just don't think it leads it in the future, if that makes sense. Mm. I don't see oh, especially multiple conservative leadership of the church taking the church towards a position where it is viable in the era of climate change and it is viable mm. in mm. 30 years time when you and i are having kids um not that i'm religious or in any way but you know it's always i think it's good to have that option there for whoever wants it um mm. and just i don't know um francis feels like the vestige of an old era he feels like an obama era 2008 kind of this wave of liberalism sweeping through the globe um and now we kind of see the forces of reaction against this globally. But Francis is still standing. He's still got his little red shoes on. He out there vibing. But at the same time, <laughs> he's uh, hell. Everything with hell and all this stuff. So I'm not sure what to take of it. I'm not a, not a theologian? theologian. Theologian? I'm not theologian, a theologian. Yeah. Um, but dang, interesting stuff. Um, what do you do now? Do you think that this will have any impacts on, and you know more about this than me, on how Australians, their kind of, um, how they view the law system in Australia, the high, the high church, how they view the high court? <laughs> oh, be careful with that, with that slip. Yeah, maybe. yeah, yeah. Um, oh, look, I'm sure that at the best of times, the Australian public has issues with the law. And I think this also interestingly kind of melds a bit with the, the still relevant and important and also kind of problematic role of the media with respect to its portrayal of the law and the, let's say, like lay person's understanding of the law and how it works and what its function is and and all of those sorts of things. I think that that's really the, the broader issue rather than how the general public's per- perception of the law's functionality will change as a result yeah. of this. And I don't, I really don't think it will because at the best of times, I don't think that the public's perception because of it being portrayed by people who are not lawyers and, you know, just write a sentence which essentially elaborates on the conclusion of a trial what, rather yeah. than the considerations and evidence and factors that, you know, these people who have spent decades experiencing the law um, are kind of drawing these conclusions from. So I think it will, for people who think that the justice system is fucked, and don't get me wrong, it is extremely problematic and there are huge issues within it that are, are very separate separate tangent um but for those people they will 100 percent use this as you know proof of a proof of concepts kind of thing and and proof that you know the justice system has has failed yet another yeah or yet more yet more people um but those people would not have read the high court judgment and i wouldn't be surprised if those people never read the high court judgment um, i certainly do yeah, but, but if they had and if they do, then they will see, I think, from any objective perspective and taking away any um, 
you know, any, any perceptions or preconceived notions about George Pell, if you're looking strictly at the context and the information that was present at trial at the time, I, I would find it so, so hard to conclude any differently than what the High Court did. Right. Like, frankly, the level of, the level of, like, the extent of the evidence that was available to the court and the jury and, and in that context it would be very difficult in my mind to show beyond reasonable doubt that, that this happened. Yeah. And again, like, you know, don't, um, you know, I say this as a completely separate kind of comment oh, to yeah. the, the, the fundamental, you know, the fundamental issues here and the fact that it took, you know, 20, 25 years for it to reach this point. And obviously that mm. has had an effect on the, you know, the, uh, the convincingness of the evidence that was available. But if you're looking at it from that perspective, from what was available, it is, it is not surprising, let me put it that way, it is not surprising in right. the slightest that the High Court unanimously said right. there, is, there has to be reasonable doubt here. Does the High Court normally act unanimously or I don't know? Is that a big deal? Uh, well, it's, it's a pretty big deal. Like, it, you, okay. know, it's not, um, you know, it's not a once-in-a-decade occurrence. Okay. But it is common for it not to be unanimous. Interesting. Let's Interesting. Put it that way. It's it's common for there to be a majority rather than unanimous. So it can be, you know, like six one or five one or four one. There's often someone who has a different opinion. Um, but this this was unanimous. And that is, I think, relevant. I think that that's you know, a worthwhile um, kind of factor to raise is that, you know, they all thought that it was insufficient. It's not as yeah. if, you know, some of them are in the pocket of the church kind of thing. Like, mm. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's all, um, it's all very interesting and also very sad on the other hand. So Yeah, it's, it's kind of depressing, but who knows? I don't know. Mm. We've, I feel like we're very underqualified. Well, at least I am underqualified to make <laughs> legal judgment on anything or anyone. You know, mm. I wouldn't even. I couldn't even handle a parking ticket. Like I, it, I would just immediately like mental collapse. Right, wrong. The power of God on my shoulders. <laughs> I make sure this person pays mm. their kind of speeding fine. Um, mm. Anyway, Anthony, let's transition from the pressing real world stuff, and let's talk about mm. the gams. Uh, Indeed. Big RuneScape fan, as the listeners know you are. What has been going on in the world of Rooney? Give us it a rundown. It has been it has been one of the most exciting fortnights in RuneScape history, maybe. Um Well, f- certainly f- in the past four years. Wow. Um so they released a new skill oh boy. called archaeology. Which is a big deal because these don't happen very often. There has been five, I think, since I started playing. Right. That's you know, that's one every two years, but it's definitely been a while since the last one. Right. Um uh, so I I so I just missed the release. It came out on the thirtieth of March, but I was unable to play until uh Thursday night. Right. So holy Thursday. Um I got the opportunity to do a bit of archaeology. Nice. It's very exciting. And I just want to say, I think it is a brilliantly designed skill. Ooh, how, how, how? Thank you for asking, Jordan. That is a, a brilliant question. So the, the issue with <laughs> a lot of other skills in the game right. is that the, the, the sense of progression is a bit more difficult to achieve and enjoy right so for example if you're training like wood cutting you unlock oak trees the ability to cut oak trees at level 15 okay but it is not until level 30 that you unlock a different type of tree okay to be able to cut that is the willow tree for those interested at home the willow tree so for those for those 15 levels the best tree that you can cut is an oak tree which by the time you get to like level 25, 26, you are sick of chopping down oak trees. You want something different. You want something new. 
you want something kind of different to keep you engaged for a bit longer. You want a different tree. Exactly. That's all, that's all we want, just a different tree. But what <laughs> archaeology's done has provided those different trees at a much lower kind of level threshold. Nice. So basically the, the process is that you, you know, you kind of, as archaeology archaeologists do, you kind of, you know, you dig around in this dirt pile and then you find materials, you find, you can find artifacts and then you kind of re- uh, repair the artifacts with the ma- other materials that you've acquired while digging in these dirt piles. That sounds sick. Um, and the brilliance of that is that it's really created um, a very satisfying, guess, kind of tiered system to it where you feel like you're progressing things because you want to be able to repair this artifact that gives you like an extra chunk of XP, which helps you level faster. Cool. And the amount of and the amount of um, like artifacts that you find in these level restricted dirt piles is more than the experience that you need to level up to the next to reach the next um, the next kind of stage or the next bracket. Right. So what's great about it is that um, you know once you've uh, you know you want to go you want to finish the progression of repairing these artifacts but you've reached the next like level threshold right so like by the time you finish this like cool goal you've leveled up further than what you kind of need to as a minimum right so like the necessity to move on to that next tree or whatever isn't as isn't as pressing like the crossover between wanting to move to something and the kind of skill cap to be able to move to something is isn't there and it's just not as obvious so it makes it a lot more enjoyable to do sick hell yeah yeah so i've had great fun i've you know i've reached the free to play level skill cap so i did one to 20 in about an hour and a half or two hours wow that's how is that like the best one and a half hours to two hours that you've ever done in RuneScape, like it most was so good in like a short period. Yeah, oh, probably. Hell yeah, probably. Other than like the satisfaction of like beating the final boss in a particularly uh, oh, all right, that's right, interesting and high XP quest. Um, but other than that, it was it was a lot of fun. It was absolutely fantastic. So big shout out, to shout Jagex. out to Jagex. Yep. I know that I said last week that I wasn't going to be liberal with my shout-outs, but archaeology deserves a big shout-out. This is not a liberal shout-out. This is a a Pope Mm. Benedict shout-out. This is a a conservative (laughs) 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 shout-out. Oh, fuck. Yeah, so I've, I've had a great time, and I'm... You know, excited to continue. In oh, another thing unrelated right. to arch- archaeology, right? But I recently banked ninety smithing, so oh. I purchased the the number of rune bars that I need to get the XP for ninety smithing. So that that is my current um, kind of endeavor at the moment, and one of the um, many skill minimum skill requirements for the master quest cape. So that's another can, will be another skill crossed off the list for that very very long-term goal one you know we'll have to do like a live recording of when you get it and we'll like live stream you getting the quest cape after like 10 years of working towards it oh fucking hell well it might yeah, be like will be 10 years. Years. Said, good. i don't know <laughs> um, <laughs> amazing um oh god i love who doesn't love archaeology um i know it's a brilliant this is the thing like people people uh guess that archaeology would be the new skill like three new skills ago right but um i think they've they've done really well implementing it and yeah by all accounts kind of across the board which is not often um people seem to be seem to be enjoying it so awesome that's dope yeah it's been great i will say you know world of warcraft had has has had archaeology since cataclysm so what seven years just as a comparison, um, no one really likes but it. But is the skill progression as satisfying? You know what? That's, that's, that's you know the real what? <laughs> It isn't. And maybe it's because it's actually kind of RuneScape style, style in that it's quite grindy. Like you just, mm. just hit the ground 
and then you like walk to a spot hit the ground again and like these little beacons pop up until you get close and you open like a little artifact cache you eventually like unlock artifacts and you can unlock like normal ones which you just mm. like sell off or you can unlock higher ones which can like very rarely be like items so like toys um i once unlocked a really cool um wolf skull wolf skull like a wolf head helmet um that looked really awesome mm, very cool. um but you know if you get it up high enough when you go into like a dungeon you can do special things to unlock like special daggers and stuff like that um but i have not mm. experienced archaeology i've not like touched it in years <laughs> in wow so mm. um not that i'm actually even playing wow at the moment because i have <sighs> no I, I have not i didn't even this is the first time in gosh since i was like 16 that i haven't like hit max level in the new expansion because i really am not into the new the current expansion um there's a new one coming out wow well they've just released the alpha for the new one shadowland um mm -hmm. which i think will be their kind of make or break thing if they don't do so they had a terrible expansion a few years back all lords of Draenor, garbage everyone hated mm -hmm. it i kind of liked it but i didn't really play it too much but <laughs> Um, and then they had an excellent one, probably one of the best ones I've ever played, probably the best one I've ever played, called Legion. And best mm -hmm. in terms of, like, just how good it worked. And now they've had this current one, which is Battle for Azeroth, which is just... Uh, bleh. It's just boring. There's nothing right. fun to do. No, I'm just not into it. Um, which is a shame, because they've picked some really cool locations, and the art team is just, like, phenomenally awesome. But um, I'm really hoping that... Um, oh, they always, the art team always is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm really hoping that the new expansion will will fix so many issues that a lot of people are having, will make it not so grindy, make it not feel like you have to do everything if you want to raid. Not that I raid, but just there's so, so many issues that I hope they fix. Um, but yeah, they just released the alpha and things sound good so far. Mm -hmm. um, I'm... Honestly, I kind of I want them not to release it this year, so they have a whole year to work on it. So when they drop it in twenty twenty one, it's awesome. It's really good, and it brings heaps of people back to the game. Um, yeah. Um, also mm. in in WoW news, they um, obviously I I think I talked about it how they released their kind of classic version, like their original version of World of Warcraft that you can go back and play back when the game was like pure, um, like old school RuneScape. Um, but recently, they're talking like rumors going around, and they released a survey gauging people's opinion about um, releasing uh, the same thing, but for the second expansion of the game, so the Burning Crusade, um, which everyone says was like the best time for it ever, um, which would be really interesting as well because I never got to play that then. I only came into the World of Warcraft in Wrath of the Lich King, um, so I never experienced the, the original game and then the first expansion of the burning crusade um so yeah it's uh it's cool times cool times right they just keep releasing uh every year since classic as a new a new game and they'll rake <sighs> I, in the dollars I, I don't think they will go up to wrath of the lich king because um lich king was when most people played it was the most engaging storyline everyone really loved it it's really really good um after that not so many people really like the expansions we see massive drops off and they're not just they're just not as there's no point going back i like i love cataclysm that's when i played like my ass off i played so much i was just this dirty little gremlin teenager like it was like i live in a, we live in australia it's gorgeous the most beautiful country on the planet it'd be like summer beautiful i could go outside hang out with my friends talk to girls all this stuff I'd be like no i'm playing wow and um yeah i don't know I mean, you see, the community is so split. They just hate every every idea or love every idea, and then they just debate and just hate each other. Um, so it's it's it's. A, I make it sound worse than it. I mean, I'm sure like Jagex is the same with like old school RuneScape and like NewScape and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's it's the nature of online communities. It is I am being requested to attend a, a lovely Easter dinner this evening. So I oh. may have to love you and leave you and leave so, all of our yeah, yeah. listeners as um, well. Well, I feel like so, we've, we've um, covered some good stuff. 
Mm. Oh, absolutely. This has been another another cracker. Absolutely. And um, leads nicely into uh, episode X. Episode 10. Oh, my God. 10 episodes. 10 hours of mm. content for the people. <laughs> um, yeah. Amazing. With possible special guests, but we'll asterisk that. Yeah, we'll have to ask her. Um, uh, so, thank you for listening. Um, you can find us on uh anthony what's the, t- the instagram at again at pod gods cast right the and classic of course, twitter uh twitter is at pod underscore gods um or you can follow me on twitter which is at history blue um yeah thank you for listening um we'll see you again and as always you know simbuki simbuki Sim-